The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Tonight we're continuing a a series that we're doing through the, the book of Colossians here in September called School Close, and really coming to the passage that gives this, uh, this passage its name. Now, as I get into, Lord willing, what I think is probably about the halfway point of my, of my life, um, honestly, it gets, it gets a little bit harder to be cool, okay? Uh, I, I, it doesn't just come as naturally as it once did. And I know for some of you, you're probably going, really? It was ever that natural for you? Well, I've got, I've got some items here to prove it. A little object lesson here at the end tonight. Some things that I tried to do, I tried to wear to make me cool. First item, okay, this is, is an authentic 90s flannel, okay? Uh, last last uh, Friday, I had uh, I got in a little bit of a fender bender with a guy who turns out to be an offensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, so to the degree that I considered blowing him off for a second, I decided I was gonna I'm, I'm gonna pay to have his fender uh, repaired. Okay, but I it, and it's not it's not gonna be cheap. Bradley Sowell is the guy uh, whose fender I hit. He had a holding penalty on uh, Sunday. Anyway, we'll let that go. But honestly, I thought, you know, if I'm going to pay for this, one of the ways that I could do this is probably drive down to Portland and sell this to a Portland hipster for top dollar. Those Portland hipsters love stuff like this. (laughs) Pay good money for it. The other thing, again, from the 90s, uh, before everybody seemed to be wearing jerseys, this is an, an authentic Mariners uh, like spring training warm-up jersey, okay? And, and I played on a, I used to work for the Seattle Mariners in the front office, and the, on the front office, we had a softball team. And with this softball team, we wore Mariners jerseys. That's why I got this. But none of us had the audacity to wear number 24, now Hall of Famer Ken Griffey Jr., or say number 11, 11 future Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez. So I had number 12, Doug Strange. Everybody remember Doug Strange? He only drew the most important walk in franchise history, total stud, okay? Okay, Doug Strange jersey. And it's kind of nice because I held on to it long enough that one of my friends, I think he was being a little bit sarcastic before the start of this season. He's like, wow, are you running out to get your Leonis Martin jersey? I'm like, I've already got one. Okay, and then of course, this one came a little bit later. Um, but this, this uh, Iron Man shirt, and you know, this is a workout shirt. You know, it's designed, it's one of these technical shirts that you know, you can wear it when you're gonna go for a run, you're gonna go lift or whatever. And uh, I completed this Ironman, but I got to be honest that the that for the first few, um, well, I guess it was years that I owned this shirt, I didn't wear it to to work out. I wore it, it kind of as a trophy. I wanted people to see me going, yeah, you know, I'm an Ironman, <laughs> no big deal, you know, seventy point three. Uh, it was it was a bit of a trophy, and I show those to you because. It, Tonight we come to one of these passages where, and it's one of these passages that I, that I really love about scripture that acknowledges a great reality. And it acknowledges a, a couple, this, this reality in a couple ways. One is that, is that we put things on. As the text that we'll read tonight says, we literally clothe ourselves. And we do so to kind of make a statement, right? 
We're trying to express something about ourselves, express something about what we believe. But it also puts, it also acknowledges the reality that we are being watched. Perhaps it also acknowledges the reality that we are also those who watch. And so as we come to this scripture tonight, I believe that it is a scripture that invites us to make visible what people often think is invisible. In essence, it invites us to take a step in making something real that people sometimes think is unreal. And in so doing, I also think it invites us as individuals, as, as those who are seeking to follow Christ, it invites us past the anxiety of keeping up, of keeping up with that which is in style and that which is often fickle that you indeed cannot keep up with. Uh, so let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say tonight. But before we do so, let's, uh, let's stop and pray for a second. God, would you uh, illuminate your word for us? Would you help us to understand more of who you are? And because of who you are, would you help us understand more who we are? Would you make yourself a little more real to us tonight uh, through the words of the Apostle Paul uh, in Colossians 3? Help us out. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. Okay, uh, really quick, if you weren't here last week, um, I'm going to give you a one-line synopsis of what we talked about, which is essentially, you belong to Jesus. That the point that, that Paul really wanted to emphasize is before you do anything and before we, we have to comply with the traditions of man, as it says in Colossians 2, you belong. You're accepted. Jesus loves you. It's a simple truth. One of the most basic of all truths. All right. So with that in mind... Um, this understanding that Jesus Christ loves you, and in fact, Jesus is in you and is with you. You know, and, and that may be a place that tonight you need to stop and reflect, do I believe that? It's an, it's an important reflection that we need to do honestly. Do I really believe that Jesus loves me and is in fact in me and that it matters for your life? If you haven't reflected on that question recently, it's one that, that's worth some time perhaps uh, this week. Um, okay, let's continue. Colossians 3, uh, beginning at the fifth verse, it says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Okay. I'll be honest that as, you know, even as one who has been following Jesus for a couple of decades now, and as a pastor who works with, with college students, this is one of these passages, kind of the tone of it is one of those passages that sometimes we think, oh, yikes. Why? Because there are so many people that think that, the, that, that reduce the Christian faith to a list of things that say, do not. 
don't do this. And, and the, the interpretation is don't do anything that might actually be a little bit of fun. So my, my first, you know, that, that it's an important point that's being made here, but it's done so in the negative, right? Do, do not do these things. Get rid of them, put them off. Don't be this way anymore. But there's one word I want to highlight here. And that word is idolatry. Okay, now idolatry really goes two ways. And the first way is this. Idolatry is when we take a piece of created reality. Okay, now keep in mind, created reality is good. God is the creator. Okay, but when we take a slice of created reality and then demand miracles from it or expect miracles from it. Um, let's uh, take uh, for a second uh, sexual immorality or just, or just sex. Obviously, perhaps not obviously for some, sex is a good thing. It was God's idea. It's God's creation. Uh, the, the survival of our species depends on it. Okay, now hopefully you knew that. If you didn't know that, okay, you, you know, maybe you can talk to, uh, you know, Hannah and Caitlin and they can give you a little talk about how this whole thing works. Maybe they'll do a class on that next week. Okay, but bottom, here, here's what I'm getting at, is that sex can be something that, that we idolize, that we expect miracles from. You, you look at, at the way that our culture uh, talks about sex. You look at the tabloids as you go through the checkout stand at, at the grocery store, and it's all this question of, of who's sleeping with who. What do I need to do to look better so that I will be attractive so that I can, I can sleep with the people I want to sleep with? If I can just look this way or do this thing, then I will be fulfilled. You see, that, that we take a good created reality like sex and think that if I can just do this in this way, if I could just find that right partner, then my life will experience a fulfillment that I don't currently experience. We expect a miracle out of it. We expect it to deliver something that it's not designed to deliver. That's, that is a type of idolatry. When we take a slice of created reality and demand miracles from it, Okay. Uh, in fact, one of the, the words that's used in the, the New Testament um, that's often, transla often translated uh, tempter is the word pornea in Greek, which is where we get the word pornography, where it takes a slice of created reality and it twists it. That's the meaning of that word. Okay. That's idolatry. When we take something and it gets twisted and we demand a miracle from it. Of course, the other way that we can do that we can create an idol is to hyper fear something. We take a slice of created reality that, that, you know, we, we, this happens in a very, uh, perhaps somebody who comes from a very conservative house where they're, they want to take this very seriously and very literally. And there's this sense of, of, oh gosh, sex is bad. Sex is dirty. And unless there are all these conditions that can be met, it is a bad thing. And you spend so much time trying not to do something that you end up thinking about it all the time, right? Uh, I think of in, in high school, I was a pole vaulter. And I, I remember there was this season of vaulting where, where I was obsessed with trying to not knock down the bar. 
And my coach led me through this exercise, and I'll never forget. He's like, you gotta, you got to change the way that you think. And, and he stood in front of me, and he goes, don't think about the space needle. Don't think about the space needle. Don't think about the space needle. What are you thinking about? The space needle. Okay, I think that that is in part what, when we make an idol out of something by fearing it, that, uh, that what we can sometimes tend to do is be thinking about not thinking about it so much that we're thinking about it, right? And so what, what the encouragement is here is simply to, instead of thinking about this as some sort of embargo on don't do things that might otherwise be fun, the invitation is to think about things accurately. Think about things in the way that they are supposed to be thought about and, and, um, and behavior that matches up with that. Okay. So if that's kind of the bad news, okay, here's a bunch of do nots. Sometimes we have to hear those in order to hear the good news a little clearer, a little more loudly. So let's look at the good news now. This is from Colossians 3, verse 12. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here we go, clothe yourself. Clothe clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. Wear love. Surround yourself with love. Take love with you wherever you go. Put on love. The balance of our time, I I want us to think about this question. What does it mean? What do you think it means right now as you sit here? What does it mean to put on love? Just two things that I want to reflect on tonight. The first is this. I think to put on love means to make good decisions. Now, what I really want to highlight is this. If you hang around church, perhaps you grew up in a youth group, perhaps you've been involved with Young Life, one of the ideas that I hope that you've heard is this idea about freedom in Christ. And I think that theologically, it is very important for us to remember that part of what it means to be set free, part of what it means for us to live and experience freedom in Christ is to make good decisions. Now, think about this. When you make a decision, okay, and I I believe this very strongly, anytime you make a decision, you are participating in something profoundly spiritual. I think that that's one of the meanings of the cross. It's one of the things that happened at the cross is that you've been set free to make decisions. Now, using the metaphor we're, we've, we're, that we've been given here around clothing ourselves, I do want to. I, I want to give a bit of a trite example, but it's one that I, by virtue of the fact that we're all wearing clothes, <laughs> I think that that matters for us tonight. That. I know that this is true for me, that there is this process of, of me getting up in the morning and going, okay, what am I going to wear? You know, and, and I'll be honest, on Tuesdays, my biggest anxiety 
is, what did I wear last week? Because I cannot remember it. And am I going to embarrass myself by wearing the same shirt I wore last week? Okay. It's, it's, it, it, I mean, it's a real thing. You know, of course, I'm going to look at the weather. Do I wear, you know, do I wear my plaid shorts? Or do I wear my salmon jeans? Both of which are awesome. Okay. You know, there's probably some of you that woke up this morning going, hey, you know, which sneakers am I going to wear with my, you know, with my new dress or whatever? Which, have you noticed that? Sneakers are having a moment right now. Chucks? Chucks in a dress, huh? It's a big deal. I see it out there. Lots. Okay. Bottom line is, every, we, we are empowered to make decisions. And of course, I understand that we make decisions that are far more important than what we put on in the morning. But it is, it is one of those things where the bigger point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make is you have a choice about what you are going to cover yourself with. You do have a choice about what, what people are going to experience and see from you. So what will it be? What will it be? We do have a choice. Now the second is, is this. Um, it's trading the stylish for the timeless. Trading the stylish for the timeless. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit it. Um, Taylor Swift is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, you know, I, I think it was my kids that got me first started on T Swift, but maybe it was me getting them started. Honestly, I don't know which came first. It's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. But you know T Swift's take, right? Okay, uh, what does she say? You've got that James Dean daydream. Look in your eye, and I got that red lip classic thing that you like. You guys are supposed to start singing right there, okay? We never go out of style, okay? That there is this, there is this sense of, of what is timeless, okay? Now, Taylor has her own version of James Dean and short skirts and red lipstick and all that. Uh, but what the Apostle Paul is, is inviting us to is to consider that which does not go out of style. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and above all, love. You see, when we put these things on, we transcend the trends. We trade the trendy for the timeless. Now, the imperative to put these things on is really an invitation to allow these things to be seen, these virtues that we just talked about. Putting on compassion means sitting with a friend who is in pain even when it's inconvenient. Compassion. Putting on humility means treating the guy behind the counter at 7-Eleven like he's a human being and not a vending machine. Putting on patience means staying in relationship with a friend, a family member, a roommate that has wronged you. Extending grace. These are virtues that never go out of style. Now, here's something that you have to hear that's really important. 
Too often we hear an imperative like clothe yourself with these things and we hear it as in order for me to be a good Christian, in order for God to love me, I first need to do these things. And what's really important that you hear tonight is really a reminder of last week's message, which is, no, before you do any of these things, you are loved. That what the cross of Jesus Christ reminds us first is the compassion, the gentleness, the forgiveness, the grace, indeed the love that Jesus has first shown us. Which is why that question I gave you a little bit early, earlier is so important. You see, the, these things that we've been given here are to be a response of how those of us who believe that Jesus has first extended these things to us, has indeed really provided the wardrobe himself. The one that says, these are the things I want you to put on. I'm going to give them to you. Okay, don't hear this as a works-based mandate. In order to be okay, you have to do these things. My hope is that as we continue to follow Jesus, these things just are naturally the things that come out of us. The way that we present, the, the things that follow us around, the things that we take into every scenario that we might be living in. Above all, clothe yourself in love. Here's what I want to leave you with tonight. Powerful experience I had uh, on our spring break trip uh, that we take to the Dominican several years ago. Uh, we have big teams, and, and we go into these very, very poor villages. And over the years, they've improved. But, but uh, in the early days, um, things like running water and electricity were, were profoundly scarce. It certainly improved uh, over the last uh, several years. And many of the children that we would interact with um, had no clothes. Uh, and so as we're walking through one of these, these very poor villages on one of our first days there, there was uh, a, little, a little boy wearing only undies. Uh, so, so nearly, nearly naked, that comes up to one of, of our group leaders um, who had a little sucker, like a, like a dum-dum, like the little things that Kelsey has on her desk. If you come to our office, you can have one for free. Well, this group leader gives this little boy this sucker, and he understandably quickly unwraps it and just, you know, the joy in his face as he got to take that first lick uh, was evident. There was great pleasure in getting to enjoy uh, this sucker that had just been given to him. But the scene that followed, keep in mind where we're at, a very poor community, that as other kids came up, he, with a smile on his face, would hold out the sucker and let, let the, this first kid take a lick. And then another kid come and take a lick. And there is a sweet, um, it's poetic in one of the, the images of compassion and generosity and grace and love that I've seen about what it means to be clothed in love came from a kid that was almost naked. That's what it means for us to demonstrate love, to extend those virtues out of what God has first done for us.
let's do that together. Let's be that community that, that, that freely and generously dispenses those virtues, compassion and kindness and gentleness, forgiveness and love. Let's get on that journey together this year. God, thank you for this. Thank you that you have saved our lives, that you have extended grace to us, uh, and that you, uh, your goodness is evident. We so desire to, uh, to be witnesses, uh, to be dispensers of, your, uh, of the way that you love us. And, and so we ask the guidance of your spirit uh, as we seek to be those types of people individually, and as we seek to be a community uh, that loves our neighborhood. God, you're good to us. Amen.